millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round we're talking about the 1986 hit Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles. Which means I get to talk to you about 80s pop and rock, and also I get to talk to you about the evolution of art over an ancient civilization. And also, weirdly, the ferry system between France and England. All of this is coming up in this episode, and I love, just to let you behind the scenes, it's kind of easy if you do a movie, because if the podcast is about, let's say, 40 minutes, well, the film alone is likely to be at least double, treble that time, and therefore I can happily talk about one of those movies, and I've already filled up most of the podcast before I even get into historical stuff. But whenever it comes to songs, then the problem with most songs, well, even the long ones, even songs like Bohemian Rhapsody's seven minutes. So, you know, that's a tough call. But most of the songs that I've done are more like your type three minute pop tracks. And therefore, to turn something like that into a 40 minute podcast fills me with a great feeling of, how can I put it, victory over time itself and also being able to be enthusiastic about something where the band probably didn't even spend as long doing it who who knows some sometimes people take years to create one track okay i i hear you etc the other thing that i'm going to talk about on this one is this sort of horrible misnomer this horrible elitism of certain periods or certain types of music being better than others Right, let's start off with that. That is just flat out wrong. What do I mean by that? Well, you get people saying, oh, you know, the the 80s. I was basically an 80s kid. You get people saying, oh, you know, the 80s, that was the best time for music. And my parents would say things like, oh, the 60s was the best time for, for music. And make no mistake, there are some great bits of those eras. But you know, whereas we talk about the likes of Duran Duran or Wham or the Bangles or Madonna, you know, the list goes on and on about the 1980s. It's worth remembering that there were terrible novelty songs like Agadoo or Shut Up Your Face. Once America, you 
Chicken song, Star Trekking. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, ma'am. I'm really not making these up. Please, if you want to know what any of these songs sound like, go onto YouTube and I'm sorry, okay? I'm not saying that any of these are great. And and the thing is that when people talk about greats like, yeah, again, I will pick Duran Duran. Yeah, they have some amazing tunes, but when you listen to their albums, when you listen to most people's albums, there's a couple of tracks on there where it feels like they're just trying to fill up the time on the album, quite frankly. You know, there are clearly songs that are hits that are clearly the singles and there are others that feel like filler sometimes it can be a bit more experimental i'm looking at you led zeppelin a huge heavy rock did they invent heavy metal who knows but a huge music act that never released a single and therefore some of their songs can go on seven eight minutes etc so the 80s was great but i'm going to say the best time in music is today because today you can listen to frank sinatra or elvis or you could listen to the rolling stones or oasis or taylor swift or dre or drake or whatever you get the idea so the point is today you have the choice of am i going to listen to a classical piece by beethoven or am i going to hear something by bronsky beat or am i going to listen to something by like i say taylor swift or whatever and also going into genres again you get people say i hate that type of music well some genres of music are easier to listen to than others smooth jazz is meant to be listened to as you slowly fall asleep as opposed to death metal which will certainly wake you up it's the ultimate alarm clock call and i appreciate that may not be for everybody but if you just look in the realm of rock or metal there will be some really beautifully orchestrated pieces like nothing else matters which is an acoustic piece by metallica very loud band but that's actually really quite a thoughtful song and also it may be reggae it might be hip-hop it might be pop or whatever you get people saying oh you know pop songs they're just disposable some of them are but then when you listen to abba the orchestration behind their pop in inverted commas is as complex as a classical composition so i love music and everybody loves music i love this analogy about music that art as in like paintings and posters art decorates space whereas music decorates time we have all driven along or walked along and listened to music and it's just made the experience better the theory is amongst anthropologists is that the first art form we created was music what do i mean by that well the theory is it's it's the immediacy of the impact if i handed you a great book and said read this this could change your life maybe it does change your life maybe you are blown away by that book but it's gonna take you a couple of days minimum to read through the book it takes time for it to sort of build up a sense of impact in your soul same thing with a painting but well maybe not it's, it takes weeks or anything like that but you look at a painting and go yeah that's really good that's very powerful a bit of photography or something like that however 
if I put on that tune that you love at some kind of party and your foot starts tapping, immediately the idea of dance music, for example, is it's the beats are about the same as a heartbeat, not in rest, but during exercise. Therefore, they play all kinds of high energy type dance music during things like aerobic sessions and stuff like that. The point is that our heartbeat can change when we listen to music, which does not happen when you look at a painting or reading a book. Movies, you could say it's a bit of both, because yes, you've got the visual immediacy, but also think of all the soaring music that adds to those scenes or make things, you know, a definitive piece of music. I'm hoping Greg will just play a tiny piece of The Good, The Bad and The Ugly... And instantly, if you've seen that film, even if you haven't seen that film, you know that this is a cool western. The point here is that music really does affect you. And let's go into the world of female rock in the 1980s, because the Bangles are just about the best example of that. Like any huge overnight success that came out of nowhere, it took years to get to that overnight recognition. And what we've got here is Vicky and Debbie Peterson, who are sisters, and Susanna Hoffs. They're kind of the three core main bangles. Yes, other bangles have been there in and out of things. And all three of them had been in previous bands before they met up. And they met up and first started forming in 1981. They'd already been, both of them, or all three of them, I should say, been in bands previously. So late 70s into the 80s. And now we've got their first group together, which they called The Bangs. For reasons which seem to have been kind of lost to the mists of time, in 1982, they changed it from The Bangs to The Bangles. And they still didn't really have loads of hits because their first big hit was in 1986 when we get Manic Monday. Now, to be fair, they'd already built up a bit of a reputation amongst music aficionados and fellow musicians because Manic Monday, which I have to say, I always found a bit bland. Of all their hits, and this was their first big hit that really opened the doors to them, so I'm glad it happened, just not a huge fan of that song. What's interesting, though, is they weren't singer-songwriters. They, they played their instruments, they sang, they did a great job of being the band, but they weren't necessarily writers. And Manic Monday, their first big hit, didn't come from them. It was actually given to them by somebody you might have heard of, who was very, very big in the 80s, Prince. So this is another example of him dealing with a sort of female band and thinking, if I give this to you, this will be better than ever, than I can do it. He did that with Sheena Easton in the 1980s. There was also Nothing Compares to You. There are all these female voices that actually, that was with Sinead O'Connor for the record, all of these actually work better as female vocals than Prince's own vocals. And he's just a musical genius and taken from us too soon. 2016, all those dead celebrities in 2016. Anyway, that's a whole other story. So we get Manic Monday coming out in 86, but we also get 
Walk Like an Egyptian in 1986. I encourage you to look at the video because Susanna Hoffs, she's just really sultry as she sings some of it kind of slowly and there's these pauses and the video kind of lingers on her and it's very breathy. Walk like an Egyptian. So it's kind of very sensual. Point blank, back in the 80s, huge crush on Susanna Hoffs. I hope she isn't offended by that, but yeah, it worked for me, is all I'm going to say on that one. But they kept going. There's my personal favourite, because War Like an Egyptian, a bit like Manic Monday, it's a bit of a novelty song. However, I personally think their favourite song, and I love the guitar riff in it, is Hazy Shade of Winter. which is a largely forgotten tune, but it's a banger. And if you've never heard it, again, I encourage you to track it down, whatever. And then their last big song, this was just everywhere. It, this is one of these things where I think I stopped liking it because it was overplayed, but Eternal Flame, which is just this sort of beautiful ballad. Very unrocky like the rest of their stuff. This was the slow dance at the end of the party rather than what you're bopping along to in the rest of the party. Close your eyes, give me your hand. Do you feel my heart beating? Do you understand? Do you feel the same? They had other hits as well. They obviously released multiple albums. But what's interesting is we're now into 1989 and that's when they broke up. They broke up at the height of their fame, not the drug fueled arguments, their flop after flop type stories that you get from so many bands in, let's say, 1992 or something like that. No, instead, this is something where they're at their peak and they're, whoo, they're gone. Until 1998, when they reformed and they're still out today playing the hits having fun. Go and see them if you're in your local area. You're gonna have a good good night out, okay? That, if you like, is a little bit of the story of the Bangles, where it is interesting. People talk about the impact of the Beatles, quite rightly too. Huge, huge impact on pop culture, British culture, the 1960s as a whole, huge. But then when you look at it, the Beatles were only together for seven years. That's an incredible output of creativity and huge amounts of changes to their sound in just seven years. By comparison, the Bang slash Bangles were around for eight years. They were around for longer than the Beatles, but still it feels quite ephemeral. This is the thing about lots of these bands. I once saw an interview with Iggy Pop, who is now the sort of granddad. He's the granddad or the, the old patrician of alternative rock which is weird to say and he was saying look when i was in the stooges back in the 70s it was just fun okay and very hedonistic lifestyle i didn't have a plan over the years you're going to need to do something and so you had these sort of 22 year olds singing their heart and soul out who aged 70 they didn't know they'd get to 70 and so they need to do something and for a while about 10, 15 years ago, Iggy Pop was the front of a car insurance company in the UK. 
because let's face it, the guy still needs to eat. So yeah, okay, fine. You know, that's that's what he wants to do. But it does mean that some of these super edgy people definitely lose their edge, like so many people. The angry young man, as the term goes, quite often is the mellow middle-aged man. And you get these jokes, you know, this has sort of happened so many times. You get the teenage kids finding out with horror that their parents were angry teenagers and did all kinds of crazy stuff. And I haven't told half the stories that I I did to my kids because you, know, you want to edit your life a little bit as well. But there are these things where you see the next generation coming through making the same mistakes. I also like this when it's summarised in the world of politics. You may fundamentally disagree with this, but you've certainly seen this in the real world, which is... If you don't vote left-wing when you're young, you don't have a heart. And if you don't vote right-wing when you're old, you don't have a brain. So it, it's very trite, it's very simplistic, but there is a nugget of truth to that. So it's very easy to say, everybody should be paid the same and blah, 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 when I'm 18, 19 and earning almost nothing. But when you've got a mortgage and you're a middle-aged person and you've got two kids that are really expensive, then you're perhaps a little less. Let's spread all the wealth evenly because I need some wealth myself. Anyway, this is never trying to be a political podcast. And if you fundamentally disagree with all that, I hear you. But hopefully you can take the spirit of the comment, all right? And it's the same thing with the Bangles. They were musicians. Their first love was music. So yeah, they're all in their 50s now, but they still want to play their tunes and still enjoy themselves and of course earn a living. I guess they could have all become accountants, but they probably weren't born to be accountants. There we go. That's the bangles, but homing in now on Walk Like an Egyptian. This was the era of MTV. I find it interesting, again, sort of other thoughts just generically on music. It strikes me, faster than anything else, music separates the generations. And what do I mean by that? Well, for example, I still play video games. So there are video games I've literally introduced my kids to. It's like, I just bought it. It's awesome. Hey, kids, you want to play this as well? Look how awesome it is. Yeah, yeah, we want to play it too. And then I can't get onto the PlayStation 5. Also, movies. I introduce my kids to some classic films, but also at the same time, going to the movies with them. It's a free afternoon out, so they're not going to say no. And then we all go and see, let's see, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, for example, which is a great movie. It's a lot of fun. But my kids will make the same references after the film, so when it comes to movies and TV, I can keep up with that. But the sounds, the acts out there at the moment, Adele I consider quite new, even though I'm aware she's been around for 10 years. And so music moves faster than movies. Movies kind of almost get preserved in amber, whereas music, yes, they're of their time, but therefore they're very consumable. There's a real sell-by date, and there's nothing more annoying as a parent when you start singing along to a kid's track. It's like, because they own it, it's theirs, unless they happen to have covered an earlier track. And it's like, how do you know the words to that? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Taylor Swift's new song. It's like... No, she's doing a song by the Pet Shop Boys, so that's why I know this one. I'm making all this up. But there are loads of covers of loads of tracks. It's what's interesting is you get covers of tracks that, to me, feel quite new, but then you look at it and to your horror, it's like, uh, that's a 30-year-old song now. Oops. So the point is that music moves along fast pace, but one of the things that kind of helps it, or used to help it, and I don't know if it's the same nowadays, kids today talk about music just as much as kids back in the 1980s, but we'd all sit down to watch the video. The greatest videos ever was Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer from the 1980s. The Bangles had a rocking video to walk like an Egyptian, where funnily enough, at one point, with a white background, they're all standing there, dressed up in sort of Egyptian garb, doing the cliched movements of an Egyptian, which nowadays would be like, hang on, these are white women from America is this cultural appropriation. I guess it would get somebody angry. If, if Twitter had been invented in 1986, somebody I would probably be offended by it, but clearly no offense is meant whatsoever. And also, and I'll get into the history stuff in a bit, clearly this is meant to be a bit of fun because they're referencing very old paintings, but with a modern pop rock style to them. <laughs> yes. Now, as I said, the Bangles aren't singer-songwriters, so this was actually written by Liam Sternberg, 
and he was inspired when he was doing a ferry crossing. You know, Britain, well, I should say southern England and northern France are separated by what we call the English Channel and what the French call the sleeve. So we'll agree to disagree on that one, France, all right? And nowadays you can do that if you want or you could go through the tunnel there is the eurostar which literally is a train that goes under the english channel which is an amazing engineering achievement which was being built in the 1980s however back at those times in the case of liam if you wanted to go to france there's only well you could have flown but the cheapest most efficient way is go on the ferry and it can get pretty choppy in the english channel it rocks around a fair bit and apparently as he was stooping around and flailing his arms about as he was trying to make his way around the ferry he felt hang on i'm kind of walking like those paintings of egyptians so something sparked in his brain now there are some great songwriters and producers out there and i'm going to say that liam sternberg you sometimes it's a case of oh there's this person you might not necessarily have heard of them but then when i rattle off all the list of songs that are being big hits that are being written by them go oh my goodness this person is a cornerstone in the music industry but there are loads and loads of just reliable producers and writers because it's one of these things where just the royalties from one hit can keep you happy for the rest of your life because you're the writer this is the problem with the bangles that if you've got manic monday which is a big hit prince gets a chunk of that money because he actually wrote the song and other people were producing it so actually the band get minimal amount this is why being a singer songwriter can be relatively lucrative because there's first of all your version of it that's been spun out there and maybe was a number one hit but then other people cover it and you get residual payments from that so liam sternberg's biggest hit was what like an egyptian but he had a very specific idea and sound in mind like i say he was a producer as well and he was known for creating a kind of west coast rocky sound which worked really well in the 1980s and fitted very well with the bangles overall style and look so everything came together but because he had a specific idea for it, he'd already tried to make it a hit with another band, didn't really work. And so he went to the Bangles. They all said, okay, this sounds like a good idea. But despite this being a big hit and one of the signature tunes of the Bangles, there was tension while it was being recorded. Because originally it was meant to be Debbie Peterson doing the vocals but liam didn't like it It wasn't quite the sound he was looking for so he brought susanna hoffs front and center for that but then the icing on the cake for debbie poor debbie is she was the drummer and liam said i want to have electronic drums on this so basically she was reduced to being a backing singer even though she was in the band and had very little part to play in this particular song of theirs and indeed when it's live she basically stands there and plays the tambourine which is not what she got into it for clearly there were tension at the time whether or not her relationship with the song has changed at all over the years i can't say i'm pretty sure there's a bangles biography book out there I like them. I don't like them enough to read the whole book on the bangles, okay? So maybe somebody else can say more about that online. Oh, by the way, I'm at Gem Deducho on Twitter. I'm also now at Gem Deducho on threads, where I've got, I think, three followers, because I'm not on Instagram. So this isn't really working for me, but 
Twitter has definitely degraded in the last year or so. So, hey, look, say hello to me there. Give me your thoughts. Please follow me on threads. But also, click to subscribe. Give us a review. This all helps the algorithm find us. Very much appreciate that. There you go. A little plug there, etc. Let's Let's move on. In essence, it was something that frustrated the band and caused a bit of tension there at the time at least, but then it becomes a big hit and they get to keep the train going. So 86, 87, 88 and 89 are the big, big years for the Bangles. And then, like I said, they just disappear until 1998 when they're back. That is the Bangles. I think I have done them enough. I think I've explained to you how big a hit it was and how much you enjoyed it at the time. And while it's still a bit of fun to watch today and also it's very 80s. If you want to see that backcombed, hairsprayed girl rock look from the 1980s, they do that in the video. Okay, so fill your boots. Of course, they are referring with Walk Like an Egyptian to this very stylized type of art that even as a small child, we see and recognize when it comes to ancient Egyptian art. But it gets more difficult than that. The really hard thing to wrap your head around when it comes to ancient Egyptian society is the very, very beginnings of it start round about 5,000 BC, so 7,000 years ago. It actually goes back a little bit further than that. However, this is referred to as the pre-dynastic era. This is very sort of the proto, this is the proto-ancient Egyptians. And it goes all the way, the art at least goes all the way up to about 400 AD. But it gets a lot more complicated than that. For starters, there's obviously Christianity coming in and Egypt becomes part of the Roman Empire and therefore is Christianized in the 300s. And before Islam takes over Egypt, Egypt is one of the most important Christian centers and thought areas in the world. So it's incredibly important for that new religion, but it's worth remembering that for over 3,000 years, they prayed to the other gods, your Osiris's and Ra's and Thoth's, etc. All the, that lot that you again, probably did in primary school and have a vague memory of. All these gods were around for much longer. Basically, if you look at Christianity being about 2,000 years old, well, this is 3,000 years at least, so that's 50% more of Christianity. So you can see how much Christianity has evolved from the times of Jesus Christ to the times of today. And it's the same thing with art and culture. Trying to talk about ancient Egyptian society is insane. It's a bit like saying, I live in England. It's a bit like saying English culture has always been the same. And we've got history going back to basically the first century BC. So this is a drop in the bucket compared to ancient Egypt. And yet look at how different England has been over that time. For starters, it wasn't even called England for the first thousand years or so. 
You've got the Romans and things like that turning up. You've got changes in religion, all these different things, multiple invasions, etc. And Egypt was no different. As I said right at the beginning, you've got the pre-dynastic era. And pre-dynastic takes you from the 5000s BC to about 3000 BC, give or take, okay? So that is pre-dynastic. This is the time when there was no unification. You will see a vulture and snake head on something like Tutankhamun's mask. They basically had their version of a crown, this sort of elaborate headpiece, which had a vulture and a snake, a cobra, and this is to symbolize the upper and lower Niles. They used to be two different kingdoms that are now unified, which allowed them to homogenize the society and focus the priorities of construction and civilization and culture and so on and so forth. That is early dynastic. When you finally get this unification and you get both those animals together, the early dynastic era is from 3100 BC to 2685 BC. So again, to give you an idea, the early dynastic era is in the Stone Age. This is in the Neolithic. It predates both the pyramids and even Stonehenge. And it gives you an idea of how old ancient Egyptian culture is. Funnily enough, they weren't doing the funny sideways walking Egyptians. There's actually quite a lot of evolution of the language then because this is the very edges of what is actually historic actual writing was created in ancient babylon the babylonian civilization is basically contemporary with the egypt however they came first by a few hundred years before ancient egyptian hieroglyphs and because they're such different structured languages clearly they had two different sources of coming up with the idea of the writing. It's the same in China as well. It clearly evolved independently because you're not influenced by what's going on in Babylon, either culturally or historically, but also just by looking at the languages. They are different grammars, different ways of reading them, and completely different images to denote different sounds and words. That's the early dynastic. Then we come to the Old Kingdom. The Old Kingdom lasted for about 500 years, 2686 BC to 2181 BC. And I'm not going to talk about the art from that era either, but this is the era you all know, because this is pyramid building time. Yeah, that's the old kingdom. This is thousands of years. I'm not exaggerating. This is literally thousands of years before Cleopatra. I love the fact that you are closer in time to Cleopatra than Cleopatra was to the building of the pyramids. That's how old they are. And also it's another point of reference to how long this civilization has been going. Instead, I'm going to move to the Middle Kingdom, which takes us from 2055 BC to 1650 BC, again, roughly about 500 year chunk. And it's the Middle Kingdom. This is what we mean by ancient Egyptian art. This is considered the high point of Egyptian art, where you've got the sideways looking figures, they're brown skinned, you see the side of their face in profile, 
All of this is really important. Basically, when you look at every civilization, there are rules on how to draw and paint. People understand that they're not doing a photographic reproduction. It is a symbolic reproduction. And this idea of the arms jagged, obviously in awkward poses, gives you an idea of movement. The arms shouldn't be there, therefore your brain is almost trying to make them move, which is really useful if I'm showing people walking around the city. And quite often you'll have, by contrast, you'll have the pharaoh sitting in a chair, much larger, maybe three times the size of all the other people in the silly awkward poses. So therefore, you don't need to be able to read ancient Egyptian. Just by looking at that, you go, right, that's obviously the person in power. Everybody else are their subjects. Ooh, aren't they impressive? The point of all of this is to instantly show people, not everybody in Egyptian society was literate, to show people the stories of the past and the power of the pharaohs. And it is a way of reinforcing the continuity of this empire. The reason why it's the Middle Kingdom is actually it was a comeback after there had been various invasions. There are endless invasions. It might be from Babylon, it might be the Hittites, it might be the Assyrians, and then assimilate it might therefore be Egypt rolling into the Middle East. It's just a period of, of constant churn, which is unsurprising. We're talking about 5,000 years here. Just a bit of fun, during the Middle Kingdom's era, Osiris was the most favoured god. More paintings about Osiris than any of the other gods there. And because there'd been this reunification of the state throwing off imperial domination from overseas, at the same time, there was this unification of the artwork. So this is why we've got so much art that looks like the ancient Egyptian stuff. Everything prior to that, different regions had different flavors, different styles to them. But now we're seeing a similar style. And indeed, we know that there was even a royal workshop that helped create that uniformity of look and style. Now, what's interesting is when we get into the New Kingdom, which is 1,550, do note the Middle Kingdom finished in 1,650. Now, the New Kingdom starts in 1,550, so there's a century gap there, which again, more invasion, more disruption, no dynasties at that point. So, 1550 to 1069 BC, this is actually, with the New Kingdom, this is considered the most powerful era of ancient Egypt. They managed to dominate more land, they had better trade routes, etc. All of these things mean that this was the high point, but what's interesting is they copied the art from the Middle Kingdom. So we've got this continuation for basically a thousand years of this is how you draw, paint, reproduce images in our culture, which is why we have this indelible image of that's what the ancient Egyptians acted like. What's interesting is it does show you these thick, luscious heads of hair. A lot of those were thought to have been wigs, dyed black, interesting. And also we can see that both men and women, in essence, wore mascara, eyeliner. It was thought to have been used as soot from the fire, mixed potentially with wax, something like that, something a bit sticky. And so therefore we get an idea of the fashion, which was not to wear a lot of clothing, unsurprising given the climate in Egypt. We get the idea of culture. We get the idea 
of social status. All this stuff can be pulled from the art, but when it goes back to the bangles, what they were really interested in is creating a banging tune. I love the fact that ancient Egypt, which is a civilization that hasn't existed properly for nearly 2,000 years, is still referred to in children's books, in movies, even in pop tunes. It just shows this kind of love affair that we have with the ancient past. When we talk about the Romans or the ancient Greeks, these are much more recent civilizations than the Egyptians. I think part of the allure is they are impossibly old to really understand. And therefore, they're going to continue to be a form of fascination moving forwards. That's it from me. And as always, another episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.